We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. I lived my teenage years with my grandparents. They're the people who taught me what love is. And living with them and watching them sit on the front porch and not say anything, that was what was amazing. They would sit and practically not say anything particular. It was just that comfort that they seemed to give each other. And I just think that you you learn so much from listening and watching and being a part of other people's love and of loving them. That, that's what you're trying to do. And you're trying to give and receive that love. That was one of America's most famous poets, Nikki Giovanni, talking about some of the influences on her work. And her work is legendary, having been honored with prizes ranging from the Carl Sandburg Literary Award to the American Book Award to seven NAACP Image Awards, just to name a few. I'm Milan Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Oprah has called Nikki Giovanni a living legend. She first burst onto the scene in 1968 with her self-published book of poetry, Black Feeling, Black Talk. That was the start of a career that spanned numerous children's books, nonfiction, essays, recordings, film, and of course, poetry. 53 years after her first book, she's still writing, teaching at Virginia Tech, and engaging in activism. Listen and learn why Nikki Giovanni is one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. I'm here today with Nikki Giovanni, one of America's foremost poets, and I'm so thrilled to be able to engage her in conversation for this podcast. 
Welcome, Nikki. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. You are one of the most famous living poets. You've produced uh, almost 20 books of poetry. You've won countless awards, including the American Book Award. Oprah has named you a living legend. Somehow you've also found time to write numerous books for children as well as nonfiction. And you're teaching creative writing at Virginia Tech. Uh, What an extraordinary contribution uh, you have made with your creative genius. How do you see your legacy given all of this? Well, thank you. That that sounds really great. I just try to do my my job every day, and I'm not I'm not trying to be humble, but I grow, and as I grow, my work grows with me. So I have a child. I have a son. Uh, he's grown now, and of course, I'm going to write children's books because I have a son. But as we grow a little bit older, he and I, he has a daughter, and so I ended up writing children's books because I wanted there were. Her name is Kai. She's a sweetheart. There were things I wanted Kai to to learn, and there were things I wanted her to to see and to and to hear. I enjoy every day. Well, I'm glad every day that I wake up. I think people forget that that it's a it's an honor and a pleasure and a privilege to wake up every day. And I do, and I try to capture if I'm writing or if something uh, occurs to me, I try to capture whatever it is that that I'm uh, thinking through and. I don't want to sound, as I said, I don't want to sound humble, and I don't want to sound uh, as if I'm somehow, you know, you wake up and run to the computer and and type out something. But I think that poetry is 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 a story to be shared. I think that the idea of poetry is a story to be shared, and in sharing that story, uh, it was shared. My my grandmother, I lived with my grandmother, shared stories with me. And I'm carrying that tradition on to share stories, not only uh, with my granddaughter, but with uh, with any other kid that I can run into. And I enjoy that. I enjoy the writing. So I don't I don't know what legacy, you know, I'm, like most people, I'm bound to be forgotten. Actually, I, I say to my students, you know, one of the um, probably disadvantages of being a writer is that most writers aren't aren't known for being uh, worth anything. Until a hundred years later, most of most of the writers don't even get published until they're dead and gone. So I don't I don't try to think about that. I try to think about what am I sharing today and how can I share it and make it make it work. Sometimes it's happy, sometimes it's sad. A lot of time it's funny, and uh, you just I just want to, to share where I am at that moment. You can almost throw my my work up in the air and realize how old I was when I wrote that whatever that is. That's so beautifully said. And you know, there's a lot of gems of wisdom packed into your response. And and clearly, uh, you're not going to have to wait 100 years for people to discover the worth of your extraordinary work. So it goes on every day in that realm as well. But you know, it really is a gift uh, to be able to connect with all levels in one's writing. And you seem to manage to do that, whether it is a child or whether it is someone, you know, with more years under her belt and looking for other insights that you bring. Well, you know, I've always, well, you don't know, and I don't mean it like that. I hate people that start off, you know, but um, I've always had a, an affection for older people. <laughs> and uh, I lived uh, my teenage years with my grandparents. 
And my grandparents, and I mentioned it in my new, my latest book is called Make Me Ring. I mentioned that it was, and I, I dedicated it to them, though they are gone, that uh, they're the people who taught me what love is. And living with them and watching them sit on the front porch and not say anything, that was what was amazing. That uh, grandmother would smoke. Uh, Grandpapa never did smoke. But grandmother would, at, at the end of dinner, I had to wash the uh, dishes because I was the youngest person there. But she and grandpapa would go and sit on the porch. And you learn, you know, you learn what you, what you watch and what you listen to. And it would just be quiet. They would sit and practically not say anything particular. But uh, it was, it was just that, it was just that comfort that they seemed to give each other. But I also, if I may share, Grandmother liked uh, pineapple, which to this day, I'm 77 years old. I dislike pineapple. But grandmother liked pineapple. And grandpapa did all of the shopping. He never would let her go. We lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, so it was a market. There were no grocery stores like that. And so he he would go to the market. And as he would come home, he would have the, the two bags that he was carrying. And we lived up. You had to come up uh, several steps to, to get to us. And when he got to that first step, her name is Louvenia. He would say, Louvenia, Louvenia, they had pineapple. And she would beam. And it was something just watching his pleasure in bringing her pineapple. And her pleasure in not just the pineapple, but that he thought of her. As I say, I just like pineapple. So I knew what was going to happen for Sunday ice cream because he made the ice cream on Sunday. We were going to have pineapple ice cream, which I hate. But I thought, oh, that's what love is. That that little bit. He was just so pleased. Louvenia, they had pineapple. And I just think that you you learn so much from listening and watching and being a part of other people's love and of loving them. That That's what you're trying to do. And you're trying to give and receive that love. What a terrific story. You know, I I can just conceptualize them as you describe them. A lot of that has to do with your gift as a writer uh, as well. You were just recounting some of your years with your grandparents. uh, And I wonder if we can also go back a little bit to your years then uh, at university. Yeah, you went to Fisk, uh, the historically black university, uh, received your undergrad degree. Did that have a tremendous influence on you? Oh, I'm sure it did. Uh, Grandpapa was a Fisk graduate. He graduated in 1905, and he was the first person in his family, in the Watsons, who did graduate from college. So when I was uh, accepted in Fisk, I, went, I was an early entrant. So I, I took a test in the 11th grade and passed it and went on. To, I didn't graduate from high school. I, I went on to, uh, to Fisk. I have to say, in, in, in all fairness to Fisk, Obviously, I was immature, and immature people do immature things. So ultimately, I um, I got kicked out. But while I was being kicked out and trying to pull myself together, I wasn't like mean or anything, just foolish. Um, I, I finally realized, no, I need my education. I have to go back to Fisk. And grand, Grandpapa passed, but uh, I knew Grandmother would be pleased, which she was. She came to my graduation uh, with my mother. Mommy and grand and grandmother came, and uh, Fisk is a great school. Of course, Fisk created W. B. Du Bois created sociology, and the Fisk Jubilee Singers, of course, sang for Queen um, Elizabeth, Queen Victoria. Excuse me, 
and became the Jubilee Singers because of uh, Queen Victoria. When I met Queen Elizabeth, who asked, as you can imagine, uh, asked to see me because one doesn't ask to meet the Queen. She asked to meet me because she had said, or they said, she said, and I, I don't believe it. Oh, she really enjoys your poetry. She'd love to meet you. She's going to be in the United States. Would you? Would you come? Would you? Would you like to meet her? And yeah, I don't. I just don't believe things like that. So I have a problem. I, maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. But I wanted her to know that we had a connection. And one of the things that I'll never forget to my dying day is, you know, meeting somebody like Queen Elizabeth. You, you have to take time because she meets so many people. So I just kind of stood and didn't do anything. And she looked back up, you know, how they meet you and you say, ma'am, it's such a pleasure, things like that. And she looked back up like, what are you still doing here? And I said, ma'am, we have something in common and I will never forget. And she said, oh, <laughs> and, you know, the British talk so funny. Oh. And I said, yes, ma'am, I attended Fisk University and your great grandmother, Victoria, invited the Jubilee Singers to come to England. They spent a year with her and taught and sang with her for the spirit, sang for her, sang, sang the uh, the spirituals. And she was like, oh, you know, <laughs> and, and she doesn't know much about the spirituals, but I just thought she should know that we have something, she and I had something in common. And you're just trying to, you know, go through all of it. Fisk is important. And Fisk actually, uh, as does everybody, could probably use a little more money and some things like that. But uh, in 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 its beginning, we had great, and we have good people now, but we had great people. W.B. Du Bois, as I mentioned, we had uh, Aaron Douglas when I was there. And you could see Mr. Douglas, the painter. You could see Mr. Douglas walking across campus. And, you know, you just look at his smile and say, oh, you know, I'm Mr. Douglas. And you'd, you'd go on about your business. Robert Hayden, though, uh, taught, taught us English taught us, uh, he, he was an English teacher. And of course, Bob Hayden is one of the great writers in, uh, in America. And my, one of my mother's favorite poems was uh, Those Winter Sundays. And uh, when mommy was buried, that was the, the poem that she wanted, uh, one of the poems she wanted read. And uh, Arna Bonta was our um, librarian. So we had a lot of great people we were around. And as we, the students, when I came back the second time, uh, I wanted to be a little more reasonable and, and put some things together. But we were able to say to Fisk, we, we think we need a, a writing teacher. And we we were actually able to hire John Oliver Killens. And when John came down, which was really wonderful, he came with his daughter, he bought his daughter Barbara. And he said, oh, we need a a, a festival. And we ended up having a, a, a poetry festival. And now everybody does. So it was kind of, Fisk is wonderful. And it's still, uh, it's got to make some changes. And I think a lot of schools, a lot of people don't want to make changes, but changes have to be made. And Fisk is going to have to make some in order to uh, maintain its quality. So you graduated from Fisk uh, then, having gone back. Uh, you mentioned your grandmother was at your graduation, uh, at your commencement, uh, and she died shortly thereafter, as I understand. Yes, she did. That must have been so difficult for you, given how close you were to her. Death is difficult. You know, uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to say that. And I'm not indifferent to death. I was sorry that I was sorry to lose grandmother. And when I think about home, even now, you and I are talking. When I say home, I think of and I speak of grandmother and grandpa in Knoxville, Tennessee. I don't speak of my mother and father in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm not mad or 
anything. I just, that's not who I think of when I think of home. So missing grandmother is, is, is a normal to me. You're going to miss people. And I've always, uh, and I still do, I dislike people. <laughs> when you lose somebody, you lose your mom or you lose your grandmother, and somebody will come up. I, I guess they think they're being nice. And they say, oh, well, you'll get over it. Well, I don't want to get over it. I'm, I'm going to always. I'm 77 years old. I'm going to miss my grandmother until the day that I die. And I like to think of grandmother because I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a Baptist. I grew up in, in the, her, her church was Baptist. And I, 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 mommy's church was uh, AME, African Methodist Episcopal. But I like to think of grandmother sitting in heaven with grandpapa sitting on that porch. And I think, you know, heaven is a good idea to me. I know people say, well, you know, how do you know that? And what about spirits? But I'm, I'm into spirits. I think that, that you hear things. I think that things come to you, that, that there are times when something says, don't go there or do this or whatever. And if you listen to your, inner heart, you, you will have a lot of things. So yes, I miss grandmother, but if you're born, you're going to die. And so that is something we don't accept just something that has to happen. But I don't have a right to keep her from being with grandpapa sitting in heaven and she's smoking. I'm, I'm sure that, that she's smoking and, and and he's sitting there saying, you know, Louvenia, if you don't stop that. But uh, you, you're always going to miss the people you love. That's That's why you love them. But her passing was very pivotal to your poetry, was it not? Grandmother was and remains the person that I, I want to please. So I'm doing things and I want my grandmother to be proud of it. When the African-American Museum opened in Washington, D.C., uh, I, like many people doing the Black Arts Movement, I was a part of it. And I went to not to the legacy opening because that was going to be uh, – the, the president of the United States, that was going to be Barack Obama was going to be there. And then you had the Secret Service. So we went the the day before when, when you just didn't have all of that. And I was walking and walking and walking and you turn and turn. And, and unless you've seen the museum, uh, it's difficult to explain, but it, it's a circle. You just go up and up and up. And I got to one point uh, on the second level and I went, I turned right. And in turning right, you see a lot of a lot of photographs, and left are the ladies, the old ladies, wonderful old ladies who are stopping stopping to tell their story. But I turned right, and there was a photograph, or there is um, a photograph of me, and without without even thinking, I turned left to say grandmother, and I realized I had said it. I had actually said grandmother because I wanted her to see. See, I did my job. And um, it, it was, it's most, I, I mean, tears came to my eyes when I, I realized what I had done. I was wanting my grandmother to be there to see it. And, um, you know, they're just people you do care about. And they're people you, not that I don't care about other people, but there are people that you want to please. And there are other people that uh, you just want to do a good job. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.com. 
www.symbionica.org. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. So your first collection was Black Feelings, Black Talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and you published that at a young age. You weren't long out of college. And you self-published it. Now, why was that? Uh, because at, at that point, nobody was interested in what, what ultimately became Black arts. And I had this little book. I had some poetry. And that's that's what I could do. I I, I can't play tennis. I, I can't sing. I, I can't dance. I, you know, I'm not going to be a movie star. All I can do is write, and I have stories to tell. And so I, I, I had it. I had some stories, and I thought, well, rather than try to do that which cannot be done, because at that point, Nobody's going to publish a black poet's uh, writing. I mean, that I'd have been a fool to think so. So I uh, found a, a publisher. I found a printer who was a very nice guy. And I was living in New York. And my, my question was, how much would it cost for me to get 100 books? And so he laughed. He said, well, I can get you 100 books for $100. And I said, well, that's great, because then I can sell 100 books at a dollar a piece. And I will break even. But the good part, and this is the best part, is that when I, if I sell those hundred, when I come back, I can sell, I can get a hundred more at $50 because the print thing of a jiggy had already been made. The, the print was set. Yeah. yeah. The publishing anymore. We just had to, to print it. And so that would make me get a hundred books for $50. And that, was really great because I did that the second time. And when we sold that, which was really wonderful, I have $50 as it would be to the good. Now, anybody who writes poetry knows you're not going to get rich being a poet. And so no, none of us are. I'm not either. But that $50 is going to allow me to bring another book. And so that's what we, that's what I did. I, I published them. And uh, then they had the Detroit Festival of Fine Arts. And uh, I met Dudley Randall. And I said to Dudley, well, I am going to publish my books because he was publishing Broadside, which was a broadside. It was a one single. Uh, he was very close to Gwen Brooks. And so he's going to publish that. And I said, well, why don't, why don't we come together? And uh, I will simply have my next book say a broadside publication, but I will take care of everything. And 
if there's any money, which there's not going to be very much, I'll have it. And if there's any, if we lose, you won't lose anything. So Dudley and I got together to decide we should, we should take that second step. And that's how we did it. And then, um, uh, 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 William Morrow came to me. I had lunch with Phil, a young man, a wonderful young man named Phil Petrie. Phil Petrie came to me and he said, you know, we've been watching what you're doing and we'd like to publish you. <laughs> I said, I would like to be published because running a business is, is difficult. And I, I, I didn't ever want to be a business person. And I said, that's, that's super, that's great. You know, do it. And so I ended up and I've been with them ever since. Uh, I was, I think, 26 years old or 27 years old. And I've been with William Morrow, who is a, a part, as you know, of uh, HarperCollins. I've been with them ever since. I, 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 um, I, I won't change. I, I won't get another publisher. I, I will always be with them. And it's good because I'm, I'm not, I didn't want to jump around. I wasn't looking for anything special. As I said, you, you know, if you're a poet, you're not going to make a lot of money. So the first thing you have to do is, let yourself go. <laughs> I'm not going to deal with trying to make a lot of money. And once you do that, then you can you can go on and do your work, which is writing. My work is writing. Well, breaking into William Mor- Morrow was a, a huge accomplishment, and at a very young age, very reputable publisher. Um, so that was that must have been a, just a, a terrific opportunity for you. Now, one of the the most famous poems that you've written is Nikki Rosa, and it starts, Childhood remembrances are always a drag if you're Black. Tell us what that poem means to you and what prompted it. Well, what prompted that poem, of course, was, was that everybody wants to tell Black people how terrible it is that you're life. And I'm still uh, quite tired of hearing people say, oh, you know, it was really hard. We were poor. And everybody's poor. You know, you got like in the world, you probably have a half a dozen rich people. So I, I, I got tired of hearing that, 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 that sob story. And I really like Nikki Rose. They, that, that was, that's what they call me was Nikki Rose at that point. Just call me Nikki. And, uh, I just thought all the while, whatever else it is, uh, I didn't mention my grandparents at that point. Uh, in that poem, but the uh, last line is so important that, and all the while, I was quite happy. And I just wanted to say that, that you can't let other people make a decision about your life and about how your life is and how you should look at it. Because 90% of everybody's life is is not the life we live, but the life we uh, imagine we're living. And so you have to be careful, (laughs) you know, but I'm not very good. I'm talking to you uh, now through uh, a podcast on a uh, really these things at computer, but I'm not very good at uh, any of the electronic things. And I think that my generation is very lucky not to have had Facebook and, and, and Twitter and, and all of that stuff because you got so many lies and all of those lies start to make people feel, oh, something is wrong with me. I got a note yet last night from so-and-so and they had a good time at a party and I wasn't invited to the party. And the next thing you know, they're upset about that. And you're thinking, no, wait a minute, you, you need to get off, off of the computer and, and get down to something that makes a little more sense. You need to find your own, your own happiness because happiness is an inner. It's something inside of you. It's not something outside of you. And I think that it's very, I think it's very important that, that you not allow for lack of a better word, lies to keep coming at you. 
And you're thinking, I'm the only one who's not happy. I'm the only one who's not rich. I'm the only one who's not getting good grades. And I feel sorry for the kids because I think they have a lot of pressure on them that my generation didn't have. Yeah. And that's that's also uh, a lesson, I, I think, in, in terms of what you've just imparted. Now, you've been associated with the Black Arts Movement, uh, certainly in the 60s and on. You're an activist uh, as well as a poet. Uh, how do you see the connection between politics and, and poetry? I've often thought that artists uh, can see society, see politics through a very special lens. Uh, what's the artist's role in the social movements of our time? I think that art, that poets particularly, have always been uh, a part of the leadership of changing the world. And uh, I think that we, and I'm saying we, we who are writers now, we're lucky that, you know, nobody's crucifying us or no, nobody is burning us at the cross or something. And the poets have been that kind of fight. We we have been, we've been considered witches. We have been considered just terrible things. And as we go through the last couple of thousand years, you can see that poets have always been in the leadership. And I think that uh, as a poet, you just want to do your job and you would like not to be killed. And so right now, we're getting a lot of people who are being killed, but they're not being poets. So obviously, somebody is doing something either right or wrong. I have uh, a great affection, of course, for Black Lives Matter, because I think they are doing an, 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 an enormously important and good, and good job. But for the most part, uh, we who are poets are just trying to, trying to say, this is what we see and this is how we see it. And we, are, we have now gotten to the point that we seldom, I'm not going to say never, because when we look at, at, at Russia and we look at, at Eastern uh, Europe, we look at, and at, 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 uh, Af at parts of Africa, we look at people who are still being killed because they're trying to tell the truth. And we're looking at um, people like our former president who has these great lies and has everybody uh, afraid of him because they're trying to tell the truth. And so poets are going to continue to tell the truth. And hopefully um, <laughs> we won't get we won't get shot or burned, bombed or, you know, the plane won't fall out of the sky. You know, hopefully we'll, we'll live to, to do our job. And that's all we can do. Yeah. And, and it is a vital role that uh, so many poets and artists have played uh, in that respect. What do you think of today's young poets? I understand you were very moved when Amanda Gorman uh, got up and recited her poem at the inauguration. I was very happy for, I am very happy for Miss um, Gorman. And for the publicity and the um, she's building a career and I hope that it uh, I hope that it does well. I, I would uh, I, I'm, I'm the little old lady who's fond of seeing some of the uh, younger kids come up. And I, I think, though, everybody, especially writers, have to be careful. And a part of what you have to be careful about is that you do your work and that you don't get so tied up in who you are or what magazine cover you on. I think that Miss Gorman is uh, an, an intelligent, uh, obviously she's an intelligent young woman. And I think that she will find a way to make sure that she's doing her job. My favorite celebrity, I was trying to think of what the word is, but my favorite celebrity is um, Venus Williams, because Venus has handled celebrity better than any of her generation. And she has, she's done, she has been so 
cool. It was just the word. She has really handled herself. And you have to admire watching the pressure that Venus Williams was under and how she handled that pressure. And of course, Serena is very lucky to have had a big sister to look out for. And that's that's what you're hoping that um, that that we go that we go forward. So I'm uh, I was I was of course who wasn't pleased with um, Miss Gorman's um, uh, poem, and and I wish her the best, as I'm sure we all do. But I think that again, and as someone who has been through a lot of that. I wish that I really wish she could talk to Elizabeth Taylor. I wish that Elizabeth Taylor were alive and could could talk to her about the kind of pressure you can be under. And I say Liz Taylor because I I always think of of the people who got under so much pressure and still had to kind of find a way to handle it. You you have to be careful with all of that uh, so-called celebrity. You have to be careful because uh, all of the people smiling at you don't like you. You know, Nikki, you seem to have such a wonderful outlook on life. You talked uh, a little bit ago about uh, being grateful for each day uh, and observing all of those small things that are yet packed with so much meaning. Um, What makes you optimistic these days and how do you keep writing? What keeps you writing? Well, I write because words are all I know. (laughs) And if it's all you know, then that's what you that's what you do. I um, at one point in my life, I wish that I could paint, and I've painted a couple of things. If you were, were at my home, you'd you'd see a couple of my paintings, and then you would see why I couldn't be a painter. But it's it's really I like to write, and I like to share my ideas, and I like to explore my ideas. I am a space freak, which most people know, and I'm really excited about what Earth, how Earth is going to. Uh, respond to life in the in the galaxy. We do know that there must be life in the galaxy because we know that there is water on Mars. And wherever there is water, there is life. So these are the kind of things we need to be teaching our children. If I could be president of the United States or the head of the United Nations or something really important, I would try to make all of the nations teach their children and their people, that we are earthlings, that we have lived long enough trying to be black and white and, and Christian and Jewish and Muslim and whatever, whatever. It, it's finished. Third planet from yellow sun is Earth. And as we are going around and around, and we have problems here because the water is it's having problems, the air is having problems, but we are spending some time in the galaxy. And as we are, we have to be prepared. Somebody's going to ask us in some kind of language, whether we know it or not, who are you? And the answer to that has to be, I'm an earthling, because nothing else will make sense. And I think that it's time for us to take those steps. So if you say, what, what makes me excited, uh, what, what I'm excited about, and I, I, I don't know, my, my, uh, my father, my grandfather's family lives a long time. My grandmother, um, they don't live so long. But I'm really hoping that I can live long enough to see a real, what we are calling alien. But I live with aliens every day. <laughs> so I, I, the, the alien was elected president of the United States in 2016. So it doesn't get more alien than that to me. So I'm, I'm looking for 
what what the life form is that's coming. And I hope I'm around. I hope that I'm I'm around. And I don't smoke, but I, I do have a glass of champagne most evenings. And I'm just hoping I will be sitting in my, I have a, a little fish pond. And I'm hoping that I'd be sitting in my fish pond and the fish would all of a sudden start talking or whatever it is fish should do. And I will realize that something living is sitting next to me. And I could turn around and say, how are you? I'm an earthling. And I want them to say I'm a Martian or I'm a Jupiterian or whatever. I, I just, I would love to find out what other life form there is because it's illogical in this galaxy that we on earth are the only life forms. It's, it, that's just illogical. So it's time that we begin to prepare ourselves for the logic of what else is living with us. Well, to all of the earthlings who are listening to this wonderful conversation, thank you so much, uh, Nikki Giovanni, for spending time with us. I hope that our listeners who are not acquainted with your work will become acquainted. It is a, a, a wonderful feast uh, to be able to engage with you by reading uh, your great work and that they will uh, certainly pick up uh, your latest collection called Make Me Rain. Speaking of water, Make Me Rain. Thank you so much, Nikki Giovanni. Oh, thank you. There was so much wisdom in what Nikki Giovanni had to say. Here are three things I took from that fascinating conversation. First, Nikki reminds us of the beauty of everyday life. As she says, people forget that it's an honor and a pleasure and a privilege to wake up every day. Second, Nikki shows us the power of observation. She so movingly described what she learned when living with her grandparents, the joy of listening and watching, and what she calls being a part of other people's love. Finally, Nikki's enduring curiosity is invigorating. She calls herself a space freak, enthusiastic to find out how our world will respond when we come in contact with life from other planets. She reminds us how much we all have to look forward to. Tune in next Tuesday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today. 
by visiting musicgives.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.